Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Greetings, this is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. Every Tuesday at two o'clock Eastern, we interview somebody that's got a message to share, different walks of life, different experience, different skill sets, and not everybody's done everything perfectly. We've all learned uh, from these opportunities we've had to reboot and, and reset the bar. And, and so we have, I have a friend today, uh, Dan Goodwin, who's going to tell you in just a minute about the shtick, but we're going we're gonna to help you up your game. So the, the title of today's interview is A Cautionary Tale, Corporate Lessons Applied to Entrepreneurship. Now you say, I'm running a church or a nonprofit. I'm not an entrepreneur. Excuse me. You're a social entrepreneur. You're forging new, crown, new ground. You're doing something that's important and you're not working in the corporate system. So how to identify and avoid future disasters. That's what this is about. So uh, Dan Goodwin, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange today, and please tell people a little bit about who you are. Well, thank you, Hugh. I'm I'm just I'm delighted to be here, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. So, my name is Dan Goodwin, and I'm a uh, business consultant. I'm located in the Kansas City area, and uh, my background experience was uh, 19 years in the corporate world, and then 14 years since for the entrepreneurial world and those I serve, I'm able to take my corporate skills as an internal investigator for a Fortune uh, 500 company and then parlay those and leverage those for business owners and even some corporations that may be in a scale-up mode. So that that's kind of who I am and how I serve. And your message um, I'm seeing is a universal message. We're talking to nonprofit leaders and clergy. <laughs> who don't realize they're actually running a business. So why does your message apply to them? Yes. So I have a friend here in Kansas City who has done numerous startups for nonprofit organizations. And it, it is true. Uh, best practices applies no matter if you're a corporate entity, if you're a nonprofit entity, or if you're a solopreneur. You, you are better served when you have best practices, and that includes uh, kind of what we're, going to, what we're going to talk about today. And I even go down to the point, Hugh, of telling my new clients that every decision they make needs to be thought about you incorporated. It's the Hugh Ballou plan for world domination. It's the Dan Goodwin plan for world domination, because in the end, we need to make sure that we have protected ourselves in order to provide best value to whoever we're, we choose to serve in our own client space. So your background says CYAA, cover your ankle consulting. What is this? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one interpretation. <laughs> so uh, cover your assets. You may have heard it differently in, in your locality. Uh, yes, it's it's tongue in cheek. And obviously, everybody knows uh, what they've heard CYA to stand for. But I've actually uh, considered doing a CYA to the to cubed. OK, so uh, so basically cover your assets. Uh, 
curate your assets and then circulate your assets. So we're going from what my, one of my mentors used to call eating money, right? What we need to do to survive and pay our bills all the way to circulate. What are we going to do for legacy when we decide uh, when the time is when we leave this earth? So that's an important part, a legacy. What we're creating is a legacy. And we, we start this journey wanting to impact humankind with uh, doing good and, and sharing what we can do to help others. However, we're starting an organization which ought to be a legacy that goes on past our years. And that's, that's my desire for Center Vision Leadership Foundation is it's got methodologies and programs and systems that can be run without me. Now, you picked a title today, Corporate Lessons Applied to Entrepreneurship. And I connected the dots that nonprofit leaders are social entrepreneurs. It's a very specific niche of doing good for others and, and impact to the culture. So, and then it's about how to identify and avoid future disasters. So talk a little bit about that. And then, then I'll ask you some more specific questions. So why did you hone in on that for a topic and a title today? Well, you know, Hugh, when I left the corporate world, uh, one of the things I quickly discovered was that um, small and medium businesses have the same issues that big businesses do, and that being uh, the human issues, right? The the fraud, the theft, the embezzlement, the inappropriate relationships, uh, all of the things you sometimes see in the news. And while I found myself helping business owners react and work through those, I discovered that on the proactive side, it could be, some of those could have been avoided. And that's really where I started to, uh, what they say, hit your stride as far as who I was able to serve and kind of head some of those problems off at the pass. So that was really the beginning was responding to crises and then figuring out not, not only helping them through crises, how to respond to it, stop the bleeding, make the adjustments, make sure that one never happened again, that particular problem. But I found out that there was some methodology that probably could have prevented those from happening in the first place. That's um, a blind spot for, for a lot of nonprofit leaders. And I want to remind people when we're using the word business, you're in a tax exempt business when you're running a charity or church or synagogue. It, it, there's the business of church, there's the business of the charity, which we sometimes neglect, which then compromises the work we're able to do. So I, I used to live in a, in a smaller town of 30,000 people. And in one year, uh, there were three nonprofits that had $750,000 disappear off their books because they put somebody in a signature position that they had not done a background check and they had not installed systems that would let them know or would prevent that. But we say, oh, it's a good person. We don't need to do that. They would never do this. And so there's probably a lot of loss in that area. So that's probably one of the areas you're talking about. So uh, why implement best practices to avoid some of these situations? Wow. Well, we that could that could be a four-hour seminar by itself. So best practices uh, allow you to mitigate risk. 
So the greatest business plan in the world, Hugh, is it's a risk mitigation plan. That's really what a business plan is. We've identified the 10 sections of, of our business plan and we have planned, we have visualized, we have cast the vision to what we believe it will do. And just a quick reminder, I don't care if it's a business for profit or a business plan for a nonprofit, it is a living, breathing document that needs to be reviewed and, and needs to be responded to. That is so important. The whole point of, of that piece of it is uh, when you put as many risk mitigation policies in place, that can, uh, two, two things, there is a balance here. It can throttle you if you can't do anything because the plan says you can't do this, but it also gives guidelines so that if something out of the ordinary, another opportunity comes up, another area of ministry comes up, that the powers that be, the people, the director and the board and the advisory board, whoever can then take a look and say, does this fit or do we need to modify our business, the, uh, our business plan? The business plan is simply a way to memorialize and document the vision and the purpose of that business or nonprofit. It also lets everybody know where you're headed. It's an engagement tool. Um, and, and I want to go back to what I said just a minute ago. Um, we tend to be on automatic pilot running a nonprofit. We don't think we need all these business systems installed in our enterprise. When in fact, when we don't do that, those are the very things that limit our effectiveness and maybe uh, cause a disaster. Um, so there are some uh, pitfalls. Um, in, in our previous conversation, you talked, use the word pitfalls. So there are potential pitfalls that we can have happen. I mentioned one type of them. What are some of the pitfalls and who needs to be aware of the, the potential of those? You know, Hugh, the underlying uh, issue, the, the, the catalyst sometimes, is our ability to ask questions and the ability to ignore questions. And I, you, you and I have had this discussion before. There, there's two reasons people ask questions that... The reason I ask questions, they're generally curious and they're seeking new data points, right? Or they're looking for someone to affirm and agree with them. <laughs> I, I did a great job, didn't I, Hugh? <laughs> so, you know, yeah, let's pat, pat me on the back. I'm asking you to pat me on the back. So, so that's, but, but the, the first kind, the staying in curiosity and seeking new data points is the sign of the true leader. That is the sign of exploring did we did we make everything did we did we not did do we miss anything that's what a leader and and it's it's easy as you said autopilot it's easy to get on autopilot sometimes and just assume that things are taken care of and of course you, everybody knows kind of like CYA what the acronym for assume is and I'm not going to repeat that here but you know what it is the the reason people don't ask questions is they don't want new data points. And the reason they don't want new data points, because then they are responsible and accountable to process that information and then make a decision what to do with that information. And that, that, get, that's, that gets people very uncomfortable. Your example just now, fraud, three nonprofits inside the small town, 
So I've heard this once, if I've heard it two or three dozen times in my 14 years in consulting. Why, when, Hugh, when did you first become aware of this issue? And you say, I don't know, four to six months ago. All right. So Hugh, go run to the bathroom, get a mirror, and then look in the mirror. And that is the person responsible for anything that happened in the last four or six months because you didn't ask the question. So you have to ask yourself, and I'm softening this a little bit. You have to ask yourself, why didn't you ask the question? And the, the answer is, is there's a myriad uh, childhood friend, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, my best buddy, referred by somebody else. And your point was well taken. They didn't complete the due diligence in order to get the background check done. You still may miss it. You, somebody still may uh, pass through. There are plenty of sociopaths and narcissists out there. They may be charming on the outside. They still may slip through, but at least you've done this. And the other piece of that is training. How do you have those crucial and sometimes confrontational conversations? It is all about the mission and vision for your business or your nonprofit and anything that comes against that and threatens it needs to be addressed immediately. Or it gets worse. Yeah. And we, we, or um, it can be your word. Huh? Yeah. Your, your word is disaster. Your word is disaster. It, it can shut it down. It can absolutely shut down a business. It can shut down a nonprofit. I've seen churches, uh, fold because of, uh, uh of these types of activities. Yes, I've seen small, uh, medium-sized businesses actually fold because inside inside corruption. So, you've um, you've worked in um, corporate America. You've worked in higher education. Uh, you've worked in the church, have you? Or you you belong to a mega church, but you've worked in various settings. And and I guess you find some of the same deficiencies in all of them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> because if it weren't for the dang human beings, we'd have a great organization, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, um, it, it, it's the problem that exists when leaders don't step up to what they need to be doing. And we, we don't want to confront issues because we see that as harsh. When really, if you break down confront, it means with your front. We're not bashing people, we're facing it. And, and so I did a webinar last week on, on conflict. And one of the worst things we do is not to deal with it. And then a little thing becomes nuclear. And, and so there's, there's a number of, of, of examples here. So one, one, one area of compliance is do the due diligence with your background check. Also install systems. And here's an example. I served, as you know, some ex very large mega churches. And I went into one and there was this form for requesting a check. And then I said, oh, you just fill it out and sign it. And then we'll write you a check. And I said, no way. I'm going to, I'm going to fill it out and do a request that I'm going to send it to the person that supervises me. They're going to sign off on it. It's got a budget line item. And then the, the treasurer or the, uh, the, the administrative financial person writes the check and the church treasurer signs the check. So that kind of safeguard systems, it's, it's amazing how many people run the books, do the checks, do the balancing, do the accounting, one person. 
there's no systems in place. So is that a type of system that, that you advise people on? Yeah, ab absolutely. And especially in, in a church setting, because, uh, you know, smaller churches, I, 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 we've got we've got friends that pastor a, a yeah, smallish medium church and they they face that exactly what you just described, where one person was wearing all the hats. And listen, we do that as as nonprofit owners. We do that as solopreneurs. We're wearing all the hats. And when you get to that point, especially in a nonprofit, that that dividing of the duties, dividing of the responsibility, those checks and balances are so important. And I always tell my clients when they're ready to do the scale up is to review those systems and process checks and balances and then make sure that when they redistribute the work across the new organization, that there are those safeguards in place. That, that's an excellent, excellent point you just made. So when we go for money, especially grants, they're going to want to know. And sometimes we have to have audits. And so sometimes people giving us money want to know about the systems that we have in place. So we're, if you've come by Facebook, this is the Nonprofit Exchange. We're talking to Dan Goodwin today uh, about some establishing best practices, but installing some really good business systems and tools in the, in the charities that we run um, so that we can focus on the impact of our work and not get sidetracked by people that really are in trouble and want to take our money or otherwise compromise. Now, Dan, I encourage all business leaders to sit on a nonprofit board somewhere because that's our service to the community. That's a form of philanthropy, which I've learned from my friend, Bob Hopkins, whom you know. Um, and, and we learn stuff about our businesses by giving to others, but it's part of our, our community duty and delight, that, as we say in our faith. But um, we're responsible. The board members are ultimately responsible. So what's your advice to not to uh, business leaders and community leaders who sit on nonprofit boards because the buck stops with them. They're ultimately responsible for all the financials of the organization, as well as contracts and misbehaviors of people on the staff. That's correct. And, and I think that's overlooked. I, I, I know people say, I think I'd like to be on a board somewhere. And I was like, okay, is this uh, is this a profit or nonprofit? What what are you thinking? And when they, if they've never thought or or had that desire before, to find out that they are personally liable for actions. I, I mean, it's it's a real uh, it's a real eye opener sometimes. So here's what I would tell prospective board members, thinking that's what they would like to do someday, and that is, guess what? You need to flip the script. You need to do the due diligence on the organization. Is this something you're behind? Can you exactly go in and interview people? Can you find out if your visions align and your values align? Can you go in and look at, uh, and I'm not saying that the nonprofit would need to open their books, but can you look at the processes by which they do fundraising and galas and continuing education uh, for their members? Look at all of these things before you sign on to say, yeah, I want to be a part of this and I'm putting my Dan Goodwin here, I'm putting my Hugh Ballou here, 
because it is a reflection of you also. It's it's a reflection of your professionalism, your reputation in the community. And obviously you buy into somewhat of the vision for you to even consider it. But I would say flip the script and do your own due diligence in reverse. Does that, does that make sense to you? It makes a huge amount of sense. And, and um, we just, we were blind. Uh, we have blind spots. Oh, it's good people doing good work. We don't need to do all that. We're just very polite. Well, we can still be polite and ask very good questions, realizing that that we're responsible. Once we say yes to the board of two, three years, or whatever it is, um, we get a vote. And actually, the financials are public information. If you're uh, had to do a nine ninety form, it's public information. So everybody's going to know what's going on. So you just need to ask the hard questions and. We're not insulting people. We're 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 doing our, as you say, our due diligence. So that's part of our personal best practices. And you just highlighted things that we teach. When you get a board member, do they do they fit the values and principles that you stand for? And are they going to be a? Otherwise, they're never going to be a good board member. Uh, we need to get that out of the way at the beginning. So we're running a nonprofit. When's a good time to start putting some of these processes in place? Before you organize the paperwork, <laughs> how's that? Before you file the paperwork, absolutely. Uh, listen, the, the planning process on the front end is absolutely crucial. Not, number one, listen, the paperwork is the paperwork. And I'm not making light of it because I know it takes a while and I know there's details. It is the coming together before anybody signs off as an uh, you know as the director of a nonprofit it, it starts way before that and it is it is working it working it working it and massaging it and laying those plans out and that's the time to start all of these implementations all these practices to go out and seek knowledge seek data points and make sure that barring a disaster you are employing and you're attracting the right people to your nonprofit. Now, your title, uh, thank you for that. That's that's good advice. Um, your type title is corporate lessons applied to entrepreneurship, um, which I'm, I'm adopting nonprofits under the social entrepreneur uh, banner. Um, there's lots of corporate issues. I work for groups like uh, accountants and uh, quality control people and HR people, I work with those groups in doing keynotes or workshops. And they all say, I wish the leadership would listen to what we have to tell them. That we have, we have relevant information that would make this organization run better. So there's classic examples of failure in leadership. You know, IBM came out with a personal computer and thought it was a toy and didn't think it was worth, you know, protecting any of the, any of the property. So they just let it go. You know, Kodak was was the number one in silver imaging in the world. And they thought digital imaging was a fad. They didn't treat it seriously. So they went from controlling that whole market to going bankrupt. Um, so there's, there's many, many lessons to learn from corporate leaders not asking the questions, like you said, and not paying attention to what's really going on. So what do we learn from corporate America that, that we can install in our leadership for our organization and the community where we lead? Communication is the key. Communication up, down, sideways. And if you're in a nonprofit, to your patrons, 
right, to you, the fundraising events. And one thing that's thrown in the mix after 30 plus years of experience is the impact of social media to pay attention, not discount it, and to make sure that someone is on top of it. Decide those standards up front. These these are the issues that I and I'm working with a nonprofit right now in startup phase and saying, who do you have on this? What is what how do they align visions, values? And it's the same question you would ask in corporate America. Are you a fit for this job? And the one advantage that corporate America has sometimes over solopreneurs or the volunteer army, as I like to call the the, the people that that are attracted to the mission of a of a nonprofit is the I call it the wearing of the hats. And and Hugh, you know this. I mean, it's the CMO, the CTO, the CFO, the COO, the CEO. And what are those equivalencies? What do we call those leadership positions within the nonprofit? Make sure that as you grow your nonprofit that you are up-leveling talent every time you grow. There are things that I can do on a startup that when we hit a certain revenue, it is time to pass the torch. It's time to give somebody that has that expertise. That's, that's what I observed in a corporate environment. And you just scratch your head sometimes because somebody that's technically the leader because they have all the head knowledge, uh, gets promoted to managing a team. And of course, you've heard this story lots of times. They have no people skills. <laughs> they, they have no relationship building skills. And oh my goodness, it's a disaster. And then, you know, uh, management, they double down. So it, it's not that they can make the the right decisions. It's they're, they're by golly, they're going to make the decision right no matter what. And everybody's miserable, including the person that just got promoted, right? Including the, including that person. So anyway, that that's that's a lesson, and just ask great questions. And people say, well, I, you know, don't want to be a snitch, uh, don't want to embarrass anyone. And I'm listen. My point in life, I'm way past that. It's just you can ask confront um, confronting questions, and you can still do it professionally. And you can still do it and treat everybody human. Three needs. Remember this, even a nonprofit person needs to be seen. They need to be heard and they need to be validated. I need, even if I'm mad as fire at you right now for something you've done, Hugh, I can acknowledge, I can see you, I can listen, and I can validate you as a human being, even if I hate what you've done or not done, you know, sins of omission, commission. Love it. Love it. So sins of omission is where we fail lots of times as leaders because we, oh, I can't do that. It's not polite, but I can't make waves, but it's going to make a bigger wave if we don't deal with it. So we're talking about yes. best practices. So a couple of things here, define what best practices are. I mean, we've all heard it, but what is what is your definition of what, what is a best practice? And give me or give us some examples of some really good best practices that we need to we need to consider or or we gotta have in our nonprofit. Okay. 
so best practice to start with the definition. Best practice allows you to operate at the highest and best optimal level in the present moment for the present task. How's that for just boom? I couldn't say it again, so don't ask me. Okay. <laughs> so. are, they, are, they, are they rules? Are they rules or guidelines? What are they? Um, it's got to, to me, it's guidelines. Now, young Dan would have said, no, it's a hard and fast rule. You can't, you can't change that at all. You, you do have to look at the circumstances of, and you look at every different situation, um, who you hire in your organization to be your, um, to, to be your chief financial officer or equivalent, um, may not have the same depth if you're hiring um, janitorial outsourcing crew, although it should, because I've worked plenty of internal cases in the past where we're getting taken to the cleaners, <laughs> get the pun, taken to the cleaners uh, by, by our cleaning crews. You know, they were, they were stealing equipment, et cetera. Um, so, so the examples of best practices, uh, I, I would say this, not to get bogged down in committees, However, it takes more than one person to hire, ideally more than one person to interview and, you know, interviewing by panel. And it, the ideal one that I've worked with is a three-person panel and any one of the three had veto power and they were from three different uh, places in the organization. That, that to me is a best practice along with due diligence. That that would be one. Um, let's see. Let's talk about let's talk about software hardware. So best practice is is not to go with the cheapest, but go with and do your research. Go with someone that has demonstrated in the past they have the capability to do what you need to do, whether that be a, a CRM, uh, financial software. Um, documentation all of these things are the cheapest can cost you money in the long run that's that's one of the things i tell my clients all the time if you just are looking for the deal remember that can cost you your company later so that that's a couple just examples i'll, I'll throw to you so there's there's lots of areas to consider you know you put on the different hats and look at the different areas um brand slaughter Brand slaughter is where one person doesn't abide by the, the cultural norms, the guidelines, the values, the principles, guiding principles of how we function, and they do enormous damage. So there's probably best practices in hiring, which is the number one dysfunction in churches and nonprofits is the search committee. You know, they have this paradigm and they don't know what to ask, and they're putting people, square people in round holes. And another one is social media. You know, we just, we probably need to think about what what is our standard practice? What is our, our best practice that that identifies our brand and our brand promise and our brand value to the people we serve? That that's the biggest challenge right now that that I'm working to the clients who is making the decision for social media. And you don't have to go far to scroll through Instagram, look through Facebook posts looked at LinkedIn, looked, just name your channel, uh, name your channel and figure out, because if you will scroll through all the, the ones that I mentioned, 
you will find 99% of the examples of what you don't want to do, what you don't want to do, because those things rise to the top, they get viral, they get retweeted, they get reposted. And it's, I, I don't have all the answers for that, Hugh. I, it's, it, that, is, that is just a big, big mess. It's a huge mess. And it, I call it the anti-social media. It's like we've got this buzz thing, social distancing, which means nothing. We haven't distanced socially at all. We physically distance. So it's sort of anti-social distancing um, that we've, so we, 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 you know, those are examples of bad, bad practices that we, we misinterpret words and misuse them. And the words don't mean anything. So there's lots of ways we inadvertently install things that are either meaningless or send bad messages to people, right? Absolutely. And, and sometimes, you know what? It's inadvertent. Sometimes it's it's not even intentional and something gets twisted. Something something gets absolutely sideways. And then you're having to backtrack or you're trying to apologize when maybe no apology would let it die a quicker death. I, I don't know. Those are those crisis moments that we just kind of work through when they come. Uh, the whole prevent defense on that is one person, single point of contest that you highly, highly trust that understands the value vision of the nonprofit, of the church, of the synagogue that will post on behalf of. Member, and this is, I can't remember if it's Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius, I don't know. You focus on the things you can control and not worry about the things you cannot control. Yeah, yeah. So of course, neither you or I have ever made any of these mistakes. So I've, I've learned to reframe mistakes as learning opportunities. So there is, there is grace. So I don't hear you telling anybody they need to cut off somebody's head because they've made a mistake. I think what we want to live in is the preventative and then how do we write it? Because there's, there's a credibility damage when people go out, outside of these lines, aren't there? Yes. Yeah. And you used, you opened the, the whole show today, which I, I was inwardly, I was, I was giggling, but you used the opportunity for reset. And if I'd have thought of that way back in the day when I was doing employee investigations, I might have used that phrase opportunity for reset. Um, so, because basically I was there to give them an opportunity to tell their side of the story. And that was, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't hire, I didn't fire. I just, just like like dragnet right joe friday for all the for all the older people watching you know just the facts ma'am that that's that's really what we're what we're all about so <laughs> just the facts dan goodwin thank you for being a guest today you've given us a whole lot of things that we need to wake up to and to think about and so to contact uh, dan goodwin his email is on the page at the nonprofit exchange.org and there's a QR code. If you've got a, you got a camera and you can scan the image here, you can get that. So that you can go directly to him and I'll put the, uh, the texting code on the webpage too. So if you want to contact Dan Goodwin, I'm sure he'd be um, glad to give you an opinion on some of these, these hard issues. I'll put you on the spot. Sorry, I didn't ask that. So as we, as we end this helpful, there will be a transcription in a couple of days and you can grab some of these best practice things in writing and save them because they are very valuable and they're essential to leading in any place, especially when we're dealing with other people's money 
in, in this charity that we run. So it's really crucial that we have this accountability and this transparency about our work. So Dan, what do you want to leave people with today? Well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on what you said, no matter what, as you know, the last 18 months, 20 months have been extraordinary in our lifetimes. And I always in my, my, I, I do the same sign off practice, grace, mercy, and love above all, you may have to make hard decisions. You may have to let someone go. You may not hire the person that you thought was going to be the rock star, no matter what practice, grace, mercy, and love. Always. Dan Goodwin, thank you for your important messages today. Thanks, you. Enjoyed being here. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.